Hello, I'm Jennifer Farrell from the School of History and Archives, University College Dublin, and today I'm going to talk a bit about the figure of Merlin and his prophecies. Often when you say to someone that you are working on Merlin, their initial response is, why has a historian spent the last number of years studying a wizard? This reaction is, of course, due to the fact that the figure of Merlin has become such an important element of Arthurian romance that he often appears closer to legend than to historical reality. Merlin may not seem like a subject of serious historical inquiry, but in fact, a study of his character and prophecies can tell us quite a lot about the time in which the figure as we know him was created. Merlin is not just a prominent figure in the modern imagination of what the medieval world was like. He was also a very popular subject for medieval writers and audiences themselves, and in many cases his character and the content of his prophecies were taken very seriously. This is particularly the case in the 12th century, when the first fully developed stories of Merlin began circulating widely. And what we can see from the contemporary reaction to his prophecies is that medieval writers viewed them as an important part of their understanding of the world around them. So what I want to focus on here really is the first major source for the stories of Merlin and what it can tell us about contemporary attitudes towards the historical developments taking place at that time. While we can't be sure of the exact origin of the figure of Merlin or of his historicity, we know that the character who has come down to us today was likely based on a combination of both historical and legendary Welsh or early British figures. Certainly, by the beginning of the 12th century, the name Merlin was well known in Wales and had already become associated with several prophetic figures who were believed to have lived around the turn of the 5th and 6th centuries. Nonetheless, it is only really in the middle of the 12th century that the fame of Merlin takes off, and this is due primarily to the efforts of Geoffrey of Monmouth. Geoffrey, who undoubtedly spent a period of his youth in Wales before becoming a canon at Oxford, seems to have left Wales having had some exposure to these Welsh stories of Merlin, and in the 1130s he decided to provide a version of his own. In 1135, Geoffrey produced the first of his works, which was called the Prophetia Merlini, or the Prophecies of Merlin. The work, which is composed entirely of prophecies, with no real storyline or narrative, begins with a young boy named Merlin visiting the court of King Vortigern, before falling into a trance in which he begins to prophesy the future of the island of Britain, from the coming reign of Arthur to what appears to be the end of the world and the apocalypse. Contained within these prophecies are clear references not only to Arthur and his foreign conquests, but also to the fall of the Britons to the Saxons, the Norse invasions, the arrival of the Normans and the reign of Henry I. However, once the prophecies pass beyond the reign of Henry I, for example, who died just before Geoffrey completed the work in 1135, the language becomes more and more obscure, and this is a clear indication that despite Geoffrey's claim that he merely acted as a translator of the prophecies, he actually fabricated the majority of them himself. By 1139, Geoffrey had completed his second work, the Historia Regum Britannia, or History of the Kings of Britain, which provided an account of the history of Britain from its Trojan origins to its fall to the Saxons in the 7th century. However, he had also decided to place his earlier work, The Prophecies of Merlin, right at the centre of the history, during the reign of Vortigern, to whom Merlin utters the prophecies, and immediately before the reign of King Arthur. In this way, the second half of the history actually illustrates the fulfilment of the first several of Merlin's prophecies, namely those of Arthur and the Britons' eventual fall from power. No doubt this lent a level of credibility to the prophecies for Geoffrey's contemporaries, who could see at least part of them as having been fulfilled in the history of Arthur and of the Britons. The history and its inclusion of the prophecies is one of the most important works in terms of the development of Arthurian romance and Merlin's role within it. 
It is the first work to explicitly associate the story of Merlin with that of Arthur, as well as being the first work to refer to Arthur, traditionally the famous military hero of Baden Hill, as a king. And it's therefore a very important moment in Arthurian literature, and I'll come back to this work in a few minutes. But there is also a third and final work of Geoffrey's, and that is the Vita Merlini, or Life of Merlin. This is the last known work written by Geoffrey, and was completed only shortly before his death in 1154 or 55, so roughly 15 years or so after the prophecies and the history. As the title suggests, this was intended as a biography of Merlin, and there are some very important differences between the figure of Merlin as he appears here and the character in the history. The Vita's Merlin lives roughly about a century after the Merlin of the history, and instead of being a young boy gifted with the spirit of prophecy, the Merlin of the Vita is an old man who basically loses his mind and retreats into the woods, only regaining his gift of prophecy towards the end of the work. The Vita's Merlin is, however, based much more closely on the earliest Welsh traditions of Merlin, while the history's Merlin is much more of a composite of several different Merlinic figures, both legendary and historical. While each of these depictions of Merlin have retained their influence upon the popular image of Merlin today, it is in fact the history's Merlin, and particularly his prophecies, which most captured the attention of Geoffrey's contemporary readers. So what about the prophecies did Geoffrey's earliest readers consider important? The entire body of Merlin's prophecies, as provided by Geoffrey in the 1130s, were generally interpreted as political allegories for figures and events of the 12th century. You only need to look at the surviving material on Merlin by Geoffrey's contemporaries, and there is a lot of it, to see that they appear to have been used in Merlin's prophecies to explain or account for events which were currently taking place. So, for instance, in the 1170s, we have John of Salisbury writing to the Archbishop of Canterbury, telling him that he believes the rebellion against Henry II, led by his sons, including the future Richard the Lionheart, as well as his wife Eleanor of Aquitaine, along with the Scottish and the Bretons, that this event was prophesied by Merlin and therefore essentially proved that not only was the rebellion preordained, but that it was also as a direct result of God's punishment of Henry for the murder of Archbishop Thomas Becket. Here we can see a clear attempt to use prophecy not only as a method of demonstrating divine order behind the affairs of mankind, but also as a deliberate effort to explain why events such as the Breton Rebellion occurred in the first place. Punishment for the sins of Henry II seemed an obvious explanation, and the Merlin's prophecies were used to great effect as a sound support for this argument. But what do interpretations such as this tell us about how 12th century writers viewed the world around them? While we may look at the figure of Merlin the prophet or the wizard as a part of medieval fantasy, or as an interesting part of Arthurian legend and romance, in the 12th centuries, these prophecies were taken very seriously and were given considerable attention by educated men such as John of Salisbury, who used them to judge the events of their own time. So the first thing we can take from such interpretations and commentaries on the prophecies of Merlin is that prophecy was an accepted part of the medieval concept of history. It had played an important role in both the classical and biblical records of the past, and this influence continued throughout medieval historical writing. To us it may seem odd that a history would include prophecies, but there was nothing unusual in this as far as medieval writers were concerned. What is the significance of this? Well, it gives us great insight into how 12th century writers such as Geoffrey and John of Salisbury and others such as Gerald of Wales made sense of the events which were happening. While we may see disasters such as famine as a result of climate change, disease as a result of malnutrition or infection, those who lived in the Middle Ages viewed these occurrences very differently. 
They viewed them as acts of God, divine punishment for sins perhaps, or some divinely sent plague to test us, and prophecy was the surest way of establishing this pattern of cause and effect. There had to be some order or reason behind such events, be it war, famine or conquest. What made once thriving empires fall and give way to another? What made certain kings suffer loss of territory and others experience vast gains? When it came to accounting for why the Normans defeated the English in 1066, for example, many prophecies began circulating after the fact, which stated that the English would be overcome because of the sins of their kings. So again, we have this idea of sin followed by divine punishment. King Ethelred was particularly to blame in such prophecies, but what is important about them is that they claimed to have originated prior to the Normans' arrival, and in doing so, they carried with them the stamp of divine approval for Norman rule. Geoffrey's prophecies of Merlin do much the same thing. Though written in the mid-12th century, almost 100 years after the Norman conquest, Geoffrey claimed that the prophecies were actually uttered by Merlin in the 5th century, and included within them was a prophecy which foretold the Normans' ar arrival and the defeat of the English. In this way, Geoffrey too depicts the Normans as rightful inheritors of the English throne, precisely because God had always planned for them to rule England, a fact which had been passed on to Merlin almost six centuries before the event had transpired. Whether or not Geoffrey invented these prophecies, and it seems likely that he did, is beside the point. The fact is that by including such prophecies, Geoffrey not only explained the Norman conquest, but justified it. So what we really get from looking at these prophecies and the contemporary interpretations of them is a greater awareness of how medieval writers thought about history and how the events which were continuing to unfold in their own times were understood. We can see that prophecy was clearly used to explain such events as earthly manifestations of God's will. This was, after all, a period in which the Christian faith dominated society to a degree unmatched in any other era. And so a belief in divine order behind the affairs of mankind seems a natural extension of this. But how does all of this explain or account for the influence of Merlin upon later generations right up to our own day? Geoffrey's impact upon the tradition of Merlin is clear, particularly in the film and television adaptations of his story. While Disney's depiction of Merlin in the 1960s The Sword and the Stone as an old man in the woods with the gift of magic and prophecy is closely related to the Merlin of the Vita, the darker and more mysterious Merlin of 2004's King Arthur even more so, but there is also the recent television series Merlin which seems to rely more heavily on the depiction of the young boy Merlin of Geoffrey's history. Then there are other influences of course, such as the adaptations of Geoffrey's work by writers in the late 12th and early 13th centuries, the depiction of Merlin by Thomas Mallory in the 15th century, and even more recently C.S. Lewis in the early 20th century. What is certain, however, is that the popularity of Merlin today and the influence Arthurian romance has had upon modern ideas about the Middle Ages is not simply a result of the continued appetite people have for these legends, but it is also due in a very real way to the fact that these stories formed an important part of how the people of the Middle Ages thought about themselves and the world around them. Kings began modelling their courts on Arthur's Camelot. Chivalry and heroism became ideals that many strived to live by. And as far as Merlin is concerned, medieval men looked to his prophecies to find an explanation for the state of current affairs. By looking at Merlin and his prophecies, we are not simply tracing the origin of a popular legend today. We are actually dealing with sources which occupied the attention of the people who lived at the time in which these legends were first created.